Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Benz, Benz Hilaire, and I'm the host of the Dreadhead and Ted podcast. This right here is episode nine. For this episode, we'll be covering a great special guest, a great special queen that goes by the name of Vanessa. But before we start and go into details, first, I want to plug in this new app called Deep, D-E-E-P. And what Deep is, Deep is basically a platform that allows you to express your emotions anonymously through audio recordings so if you're dealing with depression anxiety uh ptsd bipolar mood disorder or you just want a place to vent or you feel alone you can go to the deep app and basically share your thoughts to a caring community without any judgment you know so please please spread the word because you never know who in your friend list family list that are dealing with depression because depression is something that there's still a stigma around it and not everybody talking about it publicly to other people but with the deep app you can share how you feel to folks that knows how you feel that either going through what you're going through or being through what you're going through right so go to the app store and download deep it's not available for android yet right now it's still a beta version in the app store so go ahead so go ahead now with that being said Get back, relax, and vibe to this new episode today. Uh, Vanessa went through a lot, man. I love hearing her story because she went through a lot, such as, you know, getting a job at the um, NFL, but also receiving the paint cleat. And you'll hear more on what paint cleat is from Vanessa throughout this episode. Uh, and aside from being fired from her job, man, she basically, you know, had this 10 years of marriage got a divorce and at the same time you know was like extremely ill extremely sick you know what i'm talking about which in that aspect sparked her company that she have now called bu period so so much so much so much details i can go on and on but it'll be best to let vanessa herself explain who she is what she's been through and also what she do for a living so i'm gonna keep back relax and vibe Y'all do the same, all right? Catch y'all next time. My name is Vanessa Severos, and I am the founder and CEO of a startup called BU Period. It's a lifestyle brand to empower women through menstrual health. And um, the goal of the brand is to uh, bring awareness and engagement to young girls as well as women in childbearing age about best menstrual health practices as well as best practices specifically if you have uterine fibroids or endometriosis or anything that you may be diagnosed in your childbearing years that can give you a very um, painful or heavy flow of a period and just make your experience um, bad. Um, my goal is to uh, create content <clears throat> for women to understand and in a better way their bodies in a more engaging way their bodies and to embrace their bodies and to recognize that they're not alone as a matter of fact um in america just america you know one out of three one out of eight women have fibroids for example but one out of three of those women are black so i'm really mainly focusing targeting on the minority community because unfortunately we have most of the issues when it comes to reproductive health in this country and my heart goes out to young girls who don't know these stats so i make it a point um in on the other side of my platform to engage with uh, junior high school and high school aged girls 
And on the product side of the platform, I'm really excited is that um, we're building smart menstrual health um, technology in the form of a sanitary pad to help these women who may have issues managing their cycle. Right now, I'm a research fellow at the Brooklyn Fashion Design Accelerator, and we're working on figuring out those materials, figuring out the design, as well as incorporating potential technology to assist in delivering information about a woman's body through her menstrual cycle. So it's really exciting times, um, especially 2019. Uh, this is, I believe this is going to be the year. It sounds, it sounds very interesting. Like You are very active, and I, I like that, but... Overall, before all that got started, before your company was founded, can you kind of take us back a little bit more? I'm guessing where were you? I guess born and raised. Are you so right now? You you actually in New York right now, right? Um, so, yes, Brooklyn, New York. Okay, so are you from New York? Born and raised, Brooklyn, New York, baby. Yeah, which part of Brooklyn? All over. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when your parents split at a young age. I was born in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and um. Spent my first decade of my life there. And then after that, all over different parts of Brooklyn, my parents split up. So um, I've even had a taste of Manhattan, Harlem, Upper West Side, the Bronx. But now I'm back in Brooklyn. Okay, so, so overall, I'm guessing like back then, these, these startup or, or, or the main tech hub itself ecosystem wasn't really there back in the day, I'm guessing. No, not at all. Actually, it was always manufacturing, the industrial manufacturing, nothing on the innovative side. Mm. You know, we had the big sugar, uh, Domino's, uh, Domino's Sugar, they had their manufacturing here. There was a lot of mom and pop manufacturing. So it was more so old school, traditional, family-owned businesses. Mm. But, um, that's all now uh, moved over, and the technology, the industry of tech has come to replace uh, a lot of the mom and pops and a lot of the abandoned warehouses. Now it's it's high lofts and big, beautiful, amazing co-sharing spaces. Yeah, not okay. That makes perfect sense. So now, as far as like business goes, um, so did you go to school for business, or what was your main major in school? Oh, man, I look back at my school, my high school yearbook and I laugh hysterically. It said that this world is crazy. I don't know what it is I want to be when I grow up. I think I want to be a child psychologist. That's if I don't go crazy. That's true. So it looks like I wanted to be a child psychologist, but the world must have been going nuts back then. Um, but then when I got to college, I was bitten by the acting bug. So I did bring forth with me the psychology thing because I minored in psychology. And then I got bit by the acting bug and didn't realize how much I actually enjoyed it. And um, that became my major. So I got a BA in theater and I'm from Hunter College. Oh, nice. Okay, so now after college, did you end up, I don't know, um, going into the acting more? Did you end up starting in films and directing? Like, did you still pursue that acting career after college? Absolutely. You know, here in New York, you got to pay the rent, you got to pay the bills. So the grind is real. So I was going to work after school and auditioning in the evening. I was going to work and after work, I was in plays um, during the evening. I was on the Shetland circuit. I was mm. off, off, way off Broadway. I did some independent films. Um, was starting to get a little name recognition, just a little bit, just enough. And then I decided, eh. I like to direct. I got a little taste of directing. Mm -hmm. I got a little taste of producing. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, I was at the, uh, that's when I started working full-time, full-time. So I didn't really have as much time to do the arts as much. But when I did, it was more so on the writing side, directing and producing side. And then, and then as far as that, were you doing full, um, working full-time, uh, what job were you doing at, at the time? Man, I was at the biggest brand on the planet, the National Football League. Ah, yeah. I basically grew up there. When I tell really? you I was auditioning at night and, and go, doing plays at night, that was my day job. Let me, okay, let's kind of backtrack. The thing is, it's an entertainment, it's an entertainment company. For NFL? So they always encouraged, uh, like, temps that came in or interns that came in to pursue their creative side, you know, because it's sports entertainment. Yeah. And so they thought it was cool that I was doing acting in the evening. A lot of people were into the music. They would do stand-up comics. We all went to everyone's show. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So basically you saying that after, was it after college you got the job at the uh, NFL or was it, how did you get that job? It was a job? couple years after college. After yeah. college. Okay. Okay. Not a couple for... years after. Yeah. Because oh. I tried the whole acting thing like for real, for real. Yeah. Man, you got to have a steady foundation and, yeah. and, and know a whole lot of people because it was about the time that um, Kerry Washington was starting to come out mm. and Taraji P. Henson and... And I was just like, wow, you have to really have an agent. You have to have a whole lifestyle that that's all that you do. Mm. And the hustler in me was just like, I can't. Nah. I ain't mad at you on that part. Okay, so now overall, <laughs> for, for the NFL, like, like, how did you get that job? Like, what was the introduction? Well, that, I know that's the crazy part. It's crazy, you know. I worked there for years, and when I would be on the road with them, I would get asked that question so many times specifically by women mm. they would look at me they see that i'm a little brown girl from brooklyn they're like well how in the world yeah but it's the truth in my mind i'm thinking all i did submit my resume to a temp agency and that temp job turned into a permanent that permanent turned into a uh a um, promotion and then that promotion turned into so i literally basically spent all my 20s there like it's it just happened to be like that. You know what it was? I wasn't really looking to rise there. Mm. Um, I was. It was a means to an end for me, so I wasn't really on it like that mm. until I decided. Excuse me. Until I discovered that I found my passion there at the NFL, which was giving a voice to the voices, encouraging people who are not connected to the game or feel like they are not able to connect to the game, giving them. A platform to connect to game. But uh, that happened a couple of years after me being there. Okay, and then when you say giving voices to the voices, um, like, can you kind of? I know you kind of touched up on that, but like, what do you mean exactly? Voices of who? Voices? Was it? Is it women, black people? Kids? Exactly, exactly. It's amazing how um, women make up almost fifty percent of the people who watch the game, mm -hmm. but they're not really uh, a part of it. If you understand what I mean, when mm -hmm. you watch it on TV, you don't really see them outside the sidelines cheering. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I worked in the um, uh, operations department and uh, under officiating. And me and my partner at the time, um, we put on programs for women and youth and uh, former players. So people who could no longer play, but doesn't mean it didn't mean that they, they couldn't be back on the grass and literally make some grass. Like, when, you know, when they discovered that they could make money by officiating, they were like, what? They yeah. didn't know. They thought 
but it was like uh, it was exclusive. There was no access to it. So we connected a lot of youth and a lot of women to local officiating associations. And through that, we started to build up a small pipeline to eventually have, give to the NFL so that they could see who's coming up the ranks, who are at, you know, in the youth leagues, the minor leagues, the, the um, high school level, you know, the D3, D2. Mm-hmm. And eventually we got some form of place to D1. I was there for 11 years, a long time. You know, I got caught up in tradition, you know, old mm-hmm. school. You start off as a coordinator, you move your way up to a manager, you know, you're assistant. And, you know, so I just thought, like, you know, back in the day, you just move your way up the ranks. Mm-hmm. But um, that came to a, an end right when I discovered what my passion was. And that happened in, that happened in 2015. Oh, that, that, was very, that was recent. Kind of recent. Yeah, yeah, so they thought, you know, they had something else in mind. And I was going to put together in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to make this huge women's engagement platform. And they had other things that they they decided to go in another direction. And so I had so much momentum, energy built up that I didn't know what to do with. And I was like, wait a minute, you sitting here telling me you guys don't need me anymore? Oh. And that was rough. That was, that was really rough. You go from the biggest brand of, you know, anything and everything is a, is accessible, even influence, you know, and mm-hmm. being able to influence and inspire young people, like, that was happening because I had the shield to back me. Yeah. But I didn't know who I was outside of the shield, honestly. It was then that I also, you know, I want to trend back a little, that I got introduced to technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so remember, I came up assistant coordinator, manager. I, uh, the the hard part of my job that was outside of the programming, the day in and day out work, I was uh, overseeing and managing all of the game day assistance that you don't see on the sidelines. And mm-hmm. so that takes a lot of organization, a lot of planning, a lot of um, coordination. And I realized that they didn't really have any systems in place to make things happen quick, easy, real time. Mm-hmm. And that was my first introduction to to technology. I had I built an internet site mm-hmm. alongside the IT department for the officiating department. Oh. I also took the the rules, the official rules to the to the rule book, the official rules for the National Football League. I digitized it and made it in house. So all oh. these things were no brainers to me. But we're dealing with generations and generations of leadership that's used to doing it the same way ever so it was a it was a big it was a big gap as far as the age gap and technology gap so i do pat myself on the shoulder for helping the bridge to analog to the digital in that department and we did we had along with um other great workers that were there that everyone adopted you know bringing technology in. And once our website was done, we had a formal website, we had a formal intranet, all the game day assistants used to just sign in on their phones mm. compared to having to go to the locker room, sign their name, yeah. get paid in cash. Like it was that old school. It was then that I realized, wow, there's a lot to learn with this whole technology thing. And that's also when I realized that people who are, you know, making computers and building computers and coding computers do not speak the same damn language. Nah, I, read, I was just like, why can't I 
like, why can't she see that I don't have anything centered on my page? Yes. So it was, it, when I realized that for you to really get a project done, you it, it makes no sense to go in blind that you have to go read up a one-on-one or get, get a little cheat sheet or something so that you can understand the world of tech. Not all of it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be proficient. Yeah. But to have just a little idea of the languages and how they work, that was my first intro was at the NFL. So uh, I'm, I'm, I was grateful for that. Because uh, then, you know, once I left, I had a pretty much good idea on how um, I was going to move forward with technology after that. So just to recap, because because you was kind of going in and out when you was like, um, they decided to, uh, you guys decided to part ways. What was the main thing that made you guys part ways again? Listen, it's called the pink cleat. Some people get the pink slip. I got the pink cleat, okay? (laughs) Fully transparent. They got rid of my ass, all right? They had other plans that were not aligned with mine, I guess. You know, they told me it was nothing that I did. It was an overhead thing. You know, at the end of the day, don't work for yourself. Yeah. You really don't have a job. I don't care how many paychecks you get. <laughs> when you work with someone else, it's always business, never personal. That's true. Okay, so now, after that was done, right? Like, what was the next thing? Because, you know, keep that in mind, you were there for 11 years, right? I was there for 11 years. So, and I had just gone through a divorce. And uh, I had just had fibroid surgery. All within that same year. Here. So the next step was either smoking crack or jumping <laughs> off of a bridge. Because I saw my but, whole life like last yeah. in front of my face. Okay. Like, uh, is this happening for real? Why am I going through this? Yeah. Because keep that in mind, man. That's like a deep thing to really go into. Like like not have losing a job and having surgery and also getting a divorce. Like mentally, like how did did you scope with all that? I didn't. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. I My body felt ill. I was rushed to the hospital. The stress hit me at such a momentum. It, you know, I was still recovering from surgery. Um, it was bad, bro. I'm not even going to sit here in front. I, I didn't have time to cope. My father saw that I was a potential... Um, I was going to be a potential... Uh, basket case, and that's when he, he saw I went to the hospital. I put an asthma attack, I had all types of stuff. He grabbed me by my shoulder and said, You don't have time to be depressed, go get your MBA. So, bro, literally, it wasn't even two seconds of a I didn't really have time to transition, I didn't really need, I didn't have time to process anything. Next thing I know, I was on the plane headed west with two packed suitcases going to Hulk International Business School, one of 10 Americans, for a one-year intensive MBA. So intensive that I, I didn't, I forgot everything about football by the time I was done. So it was really hard. And um, I did go to counseling, I'll be 100 with that. Um, therapy, my school offered therapy, mainly because they knew that it was a lot of work for someone to digest in a year and a lot of the people were not American and a little bit of Americans that were there needed to know how to deal with the rest of the world so thank God I did have counseling available to me but then you know once I got there 
my whole world changed. Mm. And then I really got put on to the world. Technology going on in Korea. Technology going on in Africa. Things going on in Dubai. I was just like, I was in a damn bubble behind them three letters the Mm. past 11 years. I had no idea what was going on. The first time I heard about blockchain and cryptocurrency, I was like, what is this stuff? Mm -hmm. But they threw me on all these telegrams and all these WhatsApp groups. And I was just like, well, there's a whole world out here. That is. Man, okay, but all right, before we actually dive in more into that world, that tech world, so would you, do, do you think that, I guess, did counseling help out? Did going therapy help out by any chance? Or was it just passive? Well, like- it was a combination of immediate support from my dad. Mm-hmm. That was key. It was immediate. Because remember, I'm divorced. I don't have a husband anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was immediate. Two was a new environment. Mm. So it was a complete. I was in the sunny, sunny California, baby. Oh yeah, I was in San Francisco (laughs) today. It was beautiful. Like it's hard to be sad with the sun. It was a combination of lifestyle, you know, choices, the family support, and then of course therapy, and that helped me focus on my next goal, which was to get my MBA. Okay, all right, perfect. Okay, so now after the MBA, what was the next goal after that? Once you received it. And no, no, I got, before you go there, what school did you go to to get the MBA? I, I went to Holt International Business School. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and it was it's in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Dubai, Shanghai, and London. And okay. I chose to do uh, my schooling in San Francisco and in Dubai. Mm. And I was only one of 10 Americans in my class. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, that's that's amazing. Okay, so now you got your MBA. What was the next step? The biggest uh, project of the year was to come up with a social impact enterprise or build something for Johnson & Johnson. I just decided to build something for me, and that's mm. how BU period was born. And when I handed in the executive summary, they were like, all right, cool, you got to pass. And that's when I was in Dubai, finishing up, I was like, you know something? Don't stop. Why are you stopping? What are you going to go back to? Mm. You know, I never got a chance to process being laid off. Mm. And at the same time, where was I going to go? Like, you know, I couldn't just go to just any old, any old brand. You know, yeah. I, it, I was just used to a certain way of living. And I was just like, None of that matters now. The only thing that matters is what I want. And I had to find out who I was. All of that poured out through BU, period. Mm-hmm. And said, and that's when I said, told myself, I'm going to build this business. You, you have the you have the summary, the, the idea down packed. And now, yeah. so when you started the company, were you still living in um, Dubai? Or did you move back yeah, to Yeah, I was. So everything started in grad school. Yeah. I started, you know, uh, my... My team members were from India and Korea. And, um, you know, they were telling me about all the menstrual health issues and where, they, where they're from. And I was like, man, this is global. So once I graduated, I was like, it's too expensive to live in New York and it's too expensive to live in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The only two places. I said, I'm going back to the Middle East because there is much more affordable and I can do the traveling that I want to do so I can meet different game changers in this field. If I'm going to get into this industry, I want to know everyone who's in it. And that was the approach that I had. Um, So I went back out there and I lived out in the Middle East. 
after I graduated. So I didn't, and I traveled to Africa, I traveled to India and Europe. And I came back to Brooklyn in 2017. Mm. Yeah. And well, I started in an incubator called 1776 in Dubai and then transitioned to the same one in Brooklyn in, in uh, 2017. And um, 2017 didn't go so well for me. Um, I landed, I went and did a women's, uh, conference in California, came back. And remember I told you I didn't fully process what had happened. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have time. I just packed my bags and left. Mm -hmm. My body, it crashed. So I was in a hospital. I, I had surgery. Uh, that November, all the while, I'm in my uh, incubator. I'm shaking hands. I'm kissing babies. I'm meeting everyone who's everyone and throughout multiple industries, not just the health, but a lot of the tech industries. Um, I I meet this amazing group called We Build Black, a tech nonprofit to empower blacks who are technologists, regardless of level, status, or income. They provide you know a house and a home for people to come and work, build, and and shed tears even if they have to. But the point is, it's a community. Mm-hmm. I, I met them, and I was like, well, there's a technology component to my mental health initiative and platform. Mm-hmm. I want them to build it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize I was going to fall in love with the nonprofit. I ended up becoming one of their officers. Mm-hmm. And, but I was still sick. So I, I got accepted to FutureWorks Accelerator, and from FutureWorks, I got accepted to the BFDA Accelerator, which is currently where I am now as a research fellow, mm-hmm. but I was still sick. So literally, I did my body didn't fully heal until May 2018. So it's literally wow. only been about six, several, several, eight months that I'm talking to you now that I haven't been sick, sick. Man. And it was all because I didn't take the time to really fully process back then. It's funny because when I've gone to a lot of conferences and tech conferences, what always comes up is mental health mm-hmm. and physical health in this startup realm. Because your mental health can really make put a toll on your physical health if you um if if you feel like you haven't arrived yet mm-hmm. or if you're strapped for money mm-hmm. or if you're having issues managing your team or if you know contracts go wrong like there's so much um so i was already seeing that you know your health is a major major issue when it comes to this comes to this world and you have to have a uh, a network that's why i i believe that incubators and accelerators are good places or people who are looking to start up their businesses that they go to them first for that guidance and that, support. That makes sense. And then, okay, it's okay. So, so kind of piggyback on that incubator uh, statement. For those listening, right, that want to, I guess, join one, how can they get involved in, in, in incubator? What's the requirements? How do you find them? Google. <laughs> I hate to say it. I hate to say it. But you literally type in wherever you live, incubators, and get real specific too because now they see now they know vcs angels investors private they know that there's more than just one type of engineer there's more than just one type of inventor there's more than just one type of business owner they're looking for very specific industries people 
and passions. Mm -hmm. And so you literally say, I'll use myself an example. Incubators in Brooklyn for minority people looking to get into the health industry. Mm -hmm. Literally that. Mm -hmm. And it will pull up different incubators. Mm -hmm. Or you go to just one. Just go to one, even if you don't think it's for you. Because that's what happened with me. Mm -hmm. I went to one. And that one led to another, and that one led to another. That's uh, literally how it works because they're all within the same network, the same family, and they recommend startups amongst each other. And now for those incubators, um, when you go in them, do you have to go in with, with an actual product, website already built, or did you go in with just the idea? Well, mine was, was a little bit unique because it's... It's an idea that, yes, there's going to be a tech component, but there's a hardware component to it as well. It's an actual product. Mm -hmm. So they want to see that you put a little bit of skin in the game as far as even if it's a Frankenstein version, even if it's a CAD, even if you put together sticks and stones with glue, they just want to see that you're able to visualize what your um, product idea is. They also want to see that you've done a little bit of homework as far as the market value validity and how viable the product is and that can easily be done with your friends and family on facebook everyone has over a hundred followers mm -hmm. so um you know you put out a little poll or survey that's mm -hmm. what i did i surveyed 150 different women from different countries about the menstrual their menstrual health ex uh, experience mm -hmm. so that shows that all right you know how to go out and and create something that it's not just you who wants it mm -hmm. now for me the product I'm making, yeah, I wish I had it when I had five boys. But I also know that I'm just one individual and I need it even down to my logo, Ben. Mm -hmm. My logo come from me. I sent it out to another 150 women and they all got back to me and told me which ones they liked and why. Uh, so That's they... how literally all my products, all of my, everything that I come out with, um, my goal is set my... Uh, People who are my customers are also my producers. Yeah. They call a, they call them um, prosumers. I, I think it's, it's pro, 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 pro prosumers. Pro I think is the name of it. <laughs> you said but that's it. how it should be. It just continuously validates what you're putting out into the market. Yeah. So they like to see that, yeah. you know, and they want to see your passion and your drive. That you're not just coming in there and saying, "Oh, I want to make this." Yeah. You know, when they ask you why and you have no connection to it, they may not be as exactly. you know willing to accept you into their program. That makes sense. And now, for those incubators that you was involved in, did you did they give you money at the end of it? Did you end up raising any cash? No. I'm just now beginning that process. But mm. what they do do is help. They look really good on your pitch. Yeah. So, um, I won one pitch competition so far, and that was the highlight of 2018. Well, congrats. It's called Make It in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, oh, I know, that, I know that um competition. Uh, competition. I, that applied. They denied me when I applied last when I was doing my startup. So I'm glad that you uh was able to like. Oh really? Yeah, it gets hard like, to get it. In yeah, I, I did it one time. I think like back in 2016. I think I applied for it. Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> but I'm glad yeah, to hear. Help you. They the goal with the incubator, the accelerator. Once you're in. You, 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 your network grows. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows somebody. Everyone knows of a pitch competition. Everyone knows of a grant. So we all spread around information every day. Mm -hmm. So even if you come in knowing nothing, within a month, you're going to know 
where you could do your next pitch. You're going to know how to do a, your um, business model. Mm-hmm. You're going to know how to do your business um, pitch. Mm-hmm. And that's big, too. You know, what's your pitch? Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? And what's the impact? Okay. So now knowing that you just started the, the main, I guess, uh, funding, um, you know, uh, funding journey, so before that, like, how was BU period being funded? My pockets, baby, and manna from heaven. Like I said, everyone has a unique case. Yeah. And I pitched to get into this accelerator. So you can pitch to get into accelerator. Some accelerators do give you funding mm-hmm. in exchange for equity. So it all depends on what the accelerator, what their rules are. But it has been, I tell you, my, my support for my friends and family has been amazing. I would not be here on this phone with you right now. I'll be somewhere flipping burgers. <laughs> because they literally believe in the mission and the vision of BU period. They believe in me as a person and my drive. And um, if they didn't, I wouldn't be able to do any of this seriously. Because of my health, I wasn't able to do the nine to five thing like a lot of startups do. Yeah. And you know something? I don't even regret it because now I'm healthy, which yeah. is most important than anything. Like True. I said, everyone has a unique situation. So I'm going to use this time wisely to get the brand into the market and um, bring awareness into the market about women's health, women's health being menstrual health. And the crisis that we have going on right now amongst women of color and health, menstrual health. And just the lack of equity, man. Literally, we've got, for reproductive health alone in Brooklyn, 240% of black women, more than, black women more than any other race, are dying 240% more at childbirth than any other race. To me, that's an epidemic and it's a problem. And that's reproductive health. And reproductive health lends itself into menstrual health. So I believe BU period can uh, add value to this epidemic that's happening right now. And I believe that this is the right time. Then I will uh, enter the market with actual period management products that are not necessarily my pad yet because I'm still working on the prototyping um, for the beta, but just products that women can um, order monthly subscription That'll just help the overall experience and help them manage. Specifically, specifically CBD products, um, even little things such as chocolate, teas, affirmations. You'll be surprised how each week a woman can build up tolerance towards the 7 to 14 day journey she's about to have with a period. 14 days usually happens if a woman has fibroids or endometriosis. And for a woman with a basic period, her cramps could equal be as bad as a heart attack. So mm. there are so many different natural ways that a woman can help manage a lot of these um, issues. I was fortunate enough to eradicate all of the symptoms. I don't even know when my period is coming. But to start off, I want to share with women some of the natural remedies. They'll be in my subscription box as well as content, monthly content, advice on best menstrual health uh, practices that are natural, that are DIY, and they can do right from from their home. And my goal is, is the way that I will rate success is that I see the number of surgeries going down, not based off of the fact that they needed the surgery, but based off of the fact that they're going just to eradicate symptoms. Because there's a difference to getting 
a hysterectomy because you don't know how to manage your symptoms mm -hmm. compared to getting a hysterectomy because you absolutely need to because it's life or death. Mm -hmm. And there's 600,000 hysterectomies in this country. 300,000 are from uterine fibroids. And if one out of every three women in America that have fibroids are black, that means a third of those hysterectomies are black women. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with those numbers. So the little bit of baby steps that I can, business that gives a social impact, then I'm going to be a happy camper. And and so, you know, that's what the soft launch is going to be realistically. Uh, and, and with each product, everybody will see the full transparency of where percentages are being broken down to money that goes towards the, the business, money that goes towards research and development of the product, mm -hmm. money that goes towards social impact, meaning, uh, and from every proceeds, um, all, for all profit proceeds will be going towards nonprofit organizations who are on the front lines of menstrual health equity on a global level. My job, the first year and a half, I was shaking hands and kissing babies, making sure I found out who most of the game changers in menstrual health were so that I knew that once I got started making money with the business, we were all going to get a piece because I, I, my goal was to focus on this pad, focus on getting this information out to this women, to these women. And I know that others have done amazing jobs on the nonprofit side, making sure that young girls and women get what they need so they can stay in school, so they can get educated, so they can get jobs. So my little part I'm going to be real happy with. <laughs> uh, I love that. And um, now, as we wrap up, um, quick question. So let's say for the guys listening, um, so can you can you tell us what is uh, fibroid? Like, like, what, like, what is that? As a guy, if we listen right now, like, what, what, what is that exactly? Uh, I'm so glad you asked because I'm actually going to have a, a webinar series and a book called Brownie Points that's going to be targeting to men so that they can finally, finally get it through their thick heads about periods. It's not just something that comes and it gives them the notice if their woman is pregnant or not. It's so much more than that. Mm. Periods can be highly affected. Moods can be highly affected. Lifestyles can be critically adjusted if a woman has a reproductive disease. And I'm not talking terminal or STD. I'm talking uterine fibroid. You ask the question, what is it? It's a benign tumor. Mm. So it's non-cancerous, although it can be. Mm. But the majority of the time, it's benign. And they grow throughout a woman's uterus. And they're fed by hormones or hormonal activity throughout the month. And they can cause, not always but they can cause horrific periods, like heavy bleeding, a lot of pain. Some women have a lot of pain and not that much bleeding. Some people have a lot of bleeding and not that much pain. I had both. When I had five boys for 10 years, it also inhibited me from, from fertility. I wasn't able to get pregnant. I had a miscarriage, which is how I found out that I had uterine fibroids. Mm. So it's a, you don't really know about it because it's silent. You know, it's, it's the lifestyle is so invasive we have women wearing pampers, but they're not going to want to talk about that and share that. We have women changing and wrapping themselves up like grunts at night to sleep because it looks like a bloodbath. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of pain, the amount of pain medication that some women are on. And it's not life-threatening. 
right? Which is why it's not a big deal. It's a lifestyle threatening, mm-hmm. which makes it an even bigger deal because you don't know what you're what you're dealing with. You know, if something's terminal, you kind of have a game plan, you know what medication. When you have endometriosis, which is another reproductive um, illness, uterine fibroids, PCOS, there are several that can have a major effect on women's periods. They don't know. They have no idea where it's coming from, what's causing it, how to manage it. So the mental toll that it takes, it's, it's worse than it's out. So they're rushing to the doctors to get all of these surgeries. Unfortunately, that's what doctors go to first, surgery, all different types of surgery. And the women are not really aware that these things grow back. Mm. So they're having surgery after surgery, and these types of surgery, sometimes a myomectomy, for an example, of delivering naturally through the vaginal canal a lesson, it'll have to cut you again. So there's so many things women have to consider once, you know, once being diagnosed. Number one, of course, is managing their menstrual health. Number two is figuring out what their family, you know, choices are going to be. And number three, you know, their mental state. It's really important. I really went through it. It affected my marriage. Like I said, I was married for 10 years, had five boys for 10 years, was at the NFL for 10 years. I had you know, I'm managing all three at the same time. And it really did take a mental toll on me. Um, so, yes, one out of every three black women that you know, Ben, has, have, or will have uterine fibroids in their lifetime. One out of eight women in America have it. But mm-hmm. for some reason, the majority of black women have it. That's a problem. That's a, yeah, it's, it it's, we, only, we only make up a little bit of the United States of America. Um, so my heart... Is really with the youth. Mm. So for 2019, I'm really looking to get more contract in, in schools, nonprofits, anything that has to deal with young girls ages 8 to 18, because I need to give them the five point gospel. And they need to know these numbers, not to scare them, mm. just so that they can be more aware. And I believe that if they're more aware of their menstrual health, they'll be more aware of their sexual health, they'll be more aware of their communication, and hopefully, hopefully, It'll encourage them to take better care of their bodies. That's why the campaign is my body is my gem. When you think of a gem or a jewel or a diamond or a stone, cherish it. Mm-hmm. Look at it with different lenses. Mm-hmm. Nah. And the goal is to hope, you know, hopefully eradicate to take the stigma, shame, and taboo along with it. And uh, on my website, period.com, I'm definitely going to go into more information about fibroids. Um, not so much on the medical side, more so on the awareness side, and I will, you know, let women know about uh, all of the different options that are available for them. But I would definitely encourage them to first talk with their partners or their family members, because they'll be surprised at how many people are not telling them that they know mm-hmm. have the same issues. Yeah, yeah. And go to their doctor so that they can have a two-way conversation. Man, so like Man, so with, with that being said, um, okay, now for those listening, whether it's you know, uh, young or older woman, um, and all, and also men too, like, like how can they get in contact with you? Let's say if they have any advice, whether it's about entrepreneurship, whether it's about you know how to really get through any mental issues, whether it's about you know, um, what you mentioned, you know, involving BU, BU period, how can they contact you? Where can they contact you to um, get advice? Oh, Follow me on Instagram. Follow me at V Severl, V is in Victor, S is in Sam, I, V is in Victor, E R L S 77. 
That's my Instagram. Definitely shoot me an email, thesaverls, the same, at buperiod.com. And, of course, definitely subscribe to the website because subscribing, you will get the updates uh, on awareness and information about a lot of the topics that we just covered. Yeah, and then for the website, can you say the website one more time, um, just in case? Uh, www.buperiod.com. B-U-spell-out, period, no D, dot com. Now, Vanessa, so... How can we help? Like, us as the listeners, us as a community, you know, like, what can we do for you to help you move forward? Oh, man. Number one, King Day. Sign up, subscribe, and shop. Sign up, subscribe, the triple S. Sign up, subscribe, (laughs) shop, baby. That's number one. Number two, ask somebody that you know. If I, I said one out of three black women that you know, First, ask them, is it okay if they have a conversation about menstrual health? And then once they say, yes, it's okay to have a conversation, start asking questions because you never know. Ask, you know, say, hey, have you ever heard of fibroids? I just found out from this company, BU, period, that black women are highly affected. You know, Uh, I was wondering if you knew of anyone or if you yourself had any issues. And then start talking about what is that, what's that, what is that process like for them, especially between them and their doctors, because that's where they're having the most, in my opinion, the, the most issues in communication. There's no reason why we're the ones getting our uteruses taken out the most. That's mm-hmm. a problem. That means that we're not talking long enough, you know? Um, definitely when it comes to supporting our sisters at work, it's, you know, long gone are the days of, oh, you know, oh, she's just complaining. She just doesn't want to work. She claims she has cramps. That's not my problem. That's her issue. She needs to hit. No. You know, it's active listening. If someone is telling you that they need to take off, I mean, it's 2019. They should, everyone should already, you know, understand that if someone has to take off, they need to take off. But it's specifically the woman is telling you, she, her iron levels may be so low that she is anemic that morning. People don't realize that our iron levels drop very low during our periods. But mm-hmm. we've been um, brainwashed to fight through it and fight through it and fight through it. And, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it's not worth getting sick over. It's not worth becoming actually becoming anemic. If you can work at home, then let your coworker or your employees work from home and listen to them. Ask them if they're okay. If you see a repetitive pattern every month, you may want to pull them aside and ask them is there anything that they can, if you can do to help them on the health benefits side. Do they have enough health benefits? Mm-hmm. You know, do they need a recommendation to any good doctors? Mm-hmm. You know? Instead of stigmatizing them and making them feel like it's their fault that they have cramps. The worst thing you can do is tell someone to go, you know, go pill up, go dope up one pill so you can feel better. That does not help the situation. It actually makes it worse. Mm. Um, and read the back of, I mean, my pads aren't out yet, but I encourage everyone. It's not regulated. The FDA does not um, require for companies to put ingredients of pads on the label. It is very important that we look to see only the brands that are very transparent about what they're putting on in within these pads and tampons because 
recent studies are linking a lot of these products to a lot of the issues that women are having now. Mm-hmm. So it's not just closing your eyes and reaching for the first period pack you can find. It's like, okay, let's see what's on the market. Let's do our research. What's organic? What's all natural? You know, what the, what are the reviews? You know? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things that people can do. I love that, man. Like, Vanessa, so far, just just hearing your story uh, overall on this podcast, on this episode, have been very inspirational. And I'm saying, like, I'm motivated. I'm saying, knowing that you went through all that as a young black queen, too, you know what I mean? And still keep your head high with, you know, with smiling every day. Like, I, like I support that. So, with all that being said, uh, what are some, like, last words of either advice or anything else that you want to tell the people listening um, before we go? Very short, sweet, and to the point. Be you, period. The only thing you got to be in this world is whatever color you are and die. That's it. That's the only thing you got to do in this world. Be you. You can't be nobody else. Be your most authentic self regardless of what issues you're going through. Period. That's it. Be yourself. Be authentic. And you will attract what you really want in life. I came out from the mold. Dreadhead. Dream for my city.